cool. Thanks, you guys. That's awesome. Um, yeah, well, welcome again, and um, we're going to sort of go into a bit of a message now. But welcome if you just arrived into the country. <laughs> Megan's here, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so if, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, um, I've, we've started a series um, called the River's Vision Series, because we've sort of got a new vision statement, which is probably a bit more like a purpose statement. It's like what the church exists for. Um, and the, the church here, the church community at Rivers, does a whole lot of different things. There's stuff happening all throughout the week. But what's the thing that kind of unites it all? And I've kind of been doing a bit of an overview of this and then trying to kind of break it down into sections. Um, last week, we talked about that, that we exist to see the kingdom of God realized and that, that God is king and we want to live in his kingdom and, and live his way. And Jesus is a king who serves and dies and loves and we want to live um, like him and follow him. Um, and tonight we're talking about being a growing family and we're going to kind of just go through this uh, as we go. And this is kind of the idea of talking about the church because um, sometimes we talk about the kingdom of God and it's this like big idea and it's, it's awesome and it's amazing but sometimes it can be disconnected from actually a community or a, a people um, uh, or a family. And the church can have lots of good things and lots of bad things. Sometimes you sort of just want the kingdom and not the church. But actually God wants to work through a people. He wants to work through a family, and we call that the church. Um, so kind of doing a bit of an overview of what is church or what is church family tonight. Um, I've got half an hour, which could be like a whole theology subject of like 13 weeks or something like that, or like a whole library of books. So I'm trying to condense this into like really simple brief overview of, of what does it mean to be a church family or a growing family. Because um, church is not just coming on a Sunday. The, the idea is that we are a people and then we gather together on a Sunday and, and worship. But what the church is is actually the people. And this is not just small um, superficial relationships that we're called to have, but deep, intimate, close relationships. That's why we've used the word family. And that's a deep desire of everyone, really, is, is, is we have this deep desire for intimacy, for connection, for relationship with God and with each other. And we're actually being designed that way. Um, and that's, that's often what we really, really want. But the reality is, often that falls short. It's actually quite difficult to have a family or a community or a group of people that are individuals but are together and are united in love. Actually, it's interesting that, that um, they've just released a study. Um, we went to a sort of a guy speaking about this this week. Um, a guy in America through Barna did some research of millennials, so 18 to 35-year-olds uh, around the world and their faith. And one statistic he said that was really important was that people feel connected globally through the internet. But actually, he said only 33% of young adults feel like they have a group of people that, that love and care for them, that actually they feel cared for and supported deeply. That actually, a lot of people feel alone. Uh, we want community, we want family, but often we're lonely and, and isolated. And in some ways, sometimes like the story of our culture and our world kind of reinforces that. We're kind of told, be your own person, like follow your own dream, like do, be true to yourself. And, and often that can almost end up meaning leaving anyone who disagrees or leaving people who don't see exactly the same as we do and we just want to go our own way. And there's something that's good about that in the sense of it's good to be true to yourself and it's good to be an individual, but we can end up isolated. 
We also have the opposite problem where then we sort of say, well, we need community, we need family, we just need to make it happen. We just need to get together, we just need to work together, we just need to form a family, we need to form a community, we need to form friendships, and it's just all on us that we can do this. We can, we can make it happen. And then sometimes if there's differences and, things that, and, and diversity, that's a threat to the group. You actually need a group that's almost the same, and it can end up being almost like a clique or, or um, a sect or this group that's kind of cut off from other people because we need community. So we have kind of diversity or individuals, and then we kind of have community or together, but sometimes they're separate. But what we really want and what God's designed us for is to have unity to be together while still being true to ourselves and having diversity. Actually, individuals who can be one. Uh, this is actually a deep desire and reflects who God is. So what I want to do is, is think through, kind of like we did last week, I'm going to go really quick and do a brief overview of the story of the Bible. We're talking about church. We're in church tonight. We're part of a church family. But this, what we're doing, is, comes out of the story of the Bible. We're actually in a story, and the Bible claims to be the true story of the world, the true story of God. And as we know God's story, we understand who we are. And so we need to live and dwell in that story, and then it starts to make sense, well, actually, what is this about? What does it mean to be a church family? So what I'm going to do is do a quick overview, kind of like I did last week, and I'm going to use the, the structure, which I'm calling United, Scattered, and then Reunited. So we're going to break up the story of the Bible into three parts or three themes and track this theme of family, um, of unity in diversity, of community. So I'm going to pray, and then I've got a few verses to read, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and explain it and just sort of summarize as we go. So let's, let's pray as we come to look at, look at the Word. Yeah, Father, just thank you that we have your Word and your Spirit. Thank you that we have a church family that we even gathered tonight. Um, thank you that you're with us, and we just pray, God, would you align our hearts and minds to your reality and your truth um, your story. God, would you speak to us by your word tonight? Um, yeah, reframe our thinking, um, our desires, God, our decisions around what's best and what you call us to. So just ask that this, this time, Lord, that you would speak, um, that you would guard this time, you'd enable us just to focus and center and receive what you want to say. Uh, we just pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so this idea that actually the story of the Bible starts not with humans, with this desire for unity and diversity and community and family, but with a God who is the perfect example of unity and diversity. That actually we believe in a God who's not just like a force, who's not alone, who's not by himself. We believe in a God who is one, yet Father, Son, and Spirit. That God is united and perfectly one, yet diverse in three. And if you sort of think, how does that work? It's like, well, it's God. <laughs> it's like someone who's in 2D trying to understand someone in 3D. It's, it's his God. We don't understand, but we believe and we trust that he, he is bigger and he, there is mystery in him. But he's revealed that actually there's one true God and the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. There's three, yet one. And this God is in perfect relationship with himself. A perfect family, if you think of it. United, yet diverse, together. And this God creates humans in his image. We looked at this last week, right at the start of the Bible. God created mankind 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God makes humans, and straight away in humans, he creates diversity. He creates difference. There's male and there's female. He doesn't just create one, but two. And then he, he creates a family. So this God, who is a family in himself, creates a family. And he says, go and spread throughout the earth, multiply this family to be a growing family that spreads throughout the earth. We see this picture of marriage in Genesis 2. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's this picture of there's two, male, female, but they become one, united. A family, a community that is united, united with God together. And in this picture, it's this intimacy. There's no shame. There's no breakdown. There's closeness. There's connection. And this is where the story starts, that God, who is him in himself perfect relationship with himself, creates a family to live in intimate relationship with him and each other. This is why it's such a deep desire for us. That that's, that's what we were made for, to be in oneness with a God who is one, to be united with the triune God of love, to be in intimate, close relationships. Where, like Adam and Eve, they're not even aware that they're naked. So they're not self-conscious they're not anxious. There's this close, intimate connection. If you know the story, it goes bad pretty quick. And we see lots of things happen, and this intimate oneness and unity starts to get broken. There's these relational divisions that start to happen right from chapter 3, the start of the Bible. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate. Humans take, rather than trusting God, they take the place, they want to take the place of God. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden there's self-consciousness, all of a sudden there's shame, all of a sudden there's hiding, and this intimacy and this unity with God and with each other is broken. And this family needs to leave the garden, this, this place of intimacy and closeness with God, they need to leave, and they're scattered. And then we see in Genesis, then there's family breakdown after family breakdown. There's Cain and Abel, and there's families all throughout the earth doing evil, um, and it just gets worse and worse. But then there's this interesting story in Genesis 11 about unity, about humans coming together and uniting. You might know the story. It's called the story of the Tower of Babel, and it's really interesting. It says this, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So God has said to them to spread out throughout the earth and, and to multiply, but this people gets to a certain part and they say, no, we're going to stop, we're going to settle here. And they say to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They realize they're being scattered. There's this division. So humans, this, this group of humans, decide, actually, we need to work together. Actually, we need to be united. Actually, we need to be one. We kind of think, well, that, that sounds good, right? But the problem is that they're united against God. They're, they're united in themselves, united for their own name, United in their own strength. 
and they start to build this tower. And it's like, well, this sounds good. It's like unity. It's like working together. Where you see, actually, just working together is not good necessarily. It's, it's what is it working towards? What is the source? What is the motivation? And this is humanity united against God. Whereas we're being made to be in this trusting relationship with God, under God, they're uniting to almost take the place of God again. So God comes, says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So God says, actually, this is not good. They're doing this thing. They're actually doing a really good job, but we can see that they're united against God. Well, that's not God's plan. It's actually not good for humanity. It's not good for God. So he confuses their languages. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. They stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So this, this people who are together with one language, all of a sudden God comes and scatters. They have different languages. Again, there's, there's the diversity, there's the spreading out. They're not unified anymore. So we see this theme of being scattered. Scattered out of the garden. Humans rebel and are divided. There's division and breakdown. Then they unite against God and are scattered. Actually, it's not good to be united against God. So God comes, he confuses the languages. And then we see this again and again throughout the story of the rest of the Old Testament. I'm not really going to spend time there, but super quick summary is God then picks one man and makes a new family, Abraham. Again, the idea is that they're this family that trusts him and they love each other and they're together and they reflect him. But again, the story is similar, that they do that for a bit, but then they, in some ways they unite against God and they forget God and they're also scattered and they go into exile. So we get to the, the end of the Old Testament and we're waiting for someone who will come and restore. We want this restored, this relationship with God restored so that we can have this relationship with others restored. This idea of family, of unity and diversity realized. And we see Jesus come. And it's interesting because Jesus comes and calls God Father. And he says that he's the son. He comes on behalf of his father. It's a family coming and calling people into his family to believe and trust in his father. It says this in John chapter 1 about Jesus. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. He's saying that those who believed in Jesus, Jesus was calling them into God's family, a spiritual family, actually born anew into a new family with God as Father. And Jesus then goes and does what's needed to do to, to restore this relationship. He goes to the cross. He takes our sin. He takes our division. He takes our rebellion. He takes our uniting against God and bears the judgment and the price for it and dies in our place. And he defeats death through the power of his love. He rises from the dead. He's exalted to the right hand of God. And he gives what he talked about. He talked about that he's going to leave, but he's going to send his spirit. And he tells his followers to wait for his spirit. He says it's really important that you wait. And then we see this really interesting story in Acts, which is actually where the church starts. So we're in the church, and this story is still going. 
But it started at a particular point after Jesus had ascended and people are waiting. As this story in Acts 2, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they, that's all the disciples, were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. This strong wind just starts blowing through. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to reach rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And they were staying in Jerusalem, so where they were, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So think there's all different types of people that speak all different languages, that can't understand each other all together. But when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. They're speaking, and there's all these different people that don't speak that language, but they're hearing it in their own language. And what this is supposed to be is a reversal of the scattering. When humanity was united against God, they were scattered. But now we see God coming to earth in Jesus, doing what's needed to restore the unity. And there's a reversal of the scattering of Babel. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? It's this amazing reversal of that. Um, John Stott says this, ever since the early church fathers Commentators have seen the blessing of Pentecost as a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. That God comes and actually reunites what was scattered. Jesus' death, resurrection, and the gift of the Spirit leads to a diverse yet united family reversing the curse of Babel. It's actually a gift of God. Jesus defeats it and he gives it as a gift and there's this community now that they can understand in their languages. And there's this, this intimacy and this love that they experience. There's this famous verse at the end of chapter 2, which talks about this family, which is to be this family of, of love and intimacy. It says this, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They spent lots of time together, eating food, breaking bread, praying. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is a community where God is at work powerfully doing things. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It's this community of love and sharing and grace and God's power and God's spirit. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's like this, God has just done this amazing thing. Now all these people are coming to believe in Jesus and they're just sharing their stuff and they're eating together and they're doing life together and they love each other and they speak different languages but they're together and it's this picture of unity in diversity. And even people who would be natural enemies, people who wouldn't spend time together, are united. Paul says this in Galatians. Um, at the end there, he says, Now because of Jesus... There is neither Jew nor Gentile. So this family then goes to people who are not Jews, which was a really big deal. That was not a small thing, that these two cultures and groups that didn't really associate are now together in the same church and sharing food and sitting at the table together. There's neither slave nor free. People who were like, didn't associate with slaves, like a slave does the work. Now the slave's sitting at the table and these people are sharing their stuff and they're friends, and they're praying together. They're united. 
nor is there male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. It's this picture of unity in diversity because of what Jesus has done, because of the gift of the Spirit. So that's the story. It starts with God and his intention for us to be united with him and each other. It goes wrong when we fail. We unite against God. He scatters, but then he comes and reunites. And this is the story that we're still in, that now the church is this community made up of people who trust Jesus, who have his spirit, who are called to live in the same way, to live united, to live together with people who are different, to serve and love each other. But the problem is that often we maybe rock up to a church, whether it's this church or maybe it's another church, maybe, maybe you've had lots of experiences with church or not very much, but often eventually we get to a point where we hear these stories and we hear, oh, that sounds amazing, like people sharing their stuff and they're together and they love each other, but then you actually rock up there and it's not like that at all. And actually, it's just frustrating. You think it should be better than this. And maybe we even become disillusioned. Because we think, well, when I read the book of Acts, these people are together and they're united and they love each other. And when I rock up into church, these people are gossiping and these people are, kind of don't seem to really care. And, and these people are not very generous at all. And like, what even is this? And we can be frustrated because there's this ideal that we're not seeing. And then maybe even disillusioned. And then maybe even going one step further, we get to a point where we say, well, actually, I'm just going to reject the church and I'm just going to go it alone. I've tried that and it didn't work. It disappointed. It's supposed to be this amazing thing and it's not. So I'm just going to go it alone with God. God is amazing, but his people not so much. And, and, and there's a real danger and temptation that we might do that. And actually say, well, Tim, you just painted this amazing picture, but I don't see that. I don't experience that, so I'm not really into that. It's interesting, there's this, this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a German um, guy who wrote some books, a lot of stuff uh, around World War II. He wrote this little book called Life Together about community, and it's really interesting. And one thing he says, that actually, if you experience frustration and disillusionment with church, it's a good thing. He says, actually, if you have an ideal we just have this dream that it's just meant to be this amazing thing, then we're hit with the reality that actually it falls short. It's actually a good thing because you're more engaged with reality. He says it this way, just as surely God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship. God wants us to have genuine community and family. So surely must we be overwhelmed by great general disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. Actually says, getting to a point of saying, well, actually, it's not what I thought it would be. It's not really what it should be. And actually, I don't even behave like I would like to. It's actually good. Actually, it's dispelling your illusions. So we're, not, we're actually starting to see reality, which is a good thing. He says, he who loves his dream of community. So if we say, if we say well, there's this dream, and actually, it doesn't work, so I'm done. He says, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself, becomes a destroyer of the community, the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. We might say, well, the church is just meant to be this amazing family, and it's really good, and, and it should be like this. And actually, if we, we live like that, we actually impose that on others and on ourselves, and then we start to judge others and ourselves, and it actually just destroys the community. And, and having the ideal is, is not wrong, but he says, actually, we just need to deal with the reality. 
even if we look at the reality of the New Testament, there's this picture of like people are together and they're sharing their stuff and it's awesome. But then if you read a few more pages, there's a whole lot of problems. <laughs> there's problems all throughout the New Testament with the church. So they had these high points, but they also had these low points. And it's, this is not saying that we just settle, but it's saying that we still receive with gratitude what God gives. That actually he's given us a community and it won't live up to the expectations but God is still at work and we want him to grow it and change it and shape it. So we actually start with thankfulness. He says this, If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. If on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry, it means like so small, petty, there's nothing really happening, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which there are for us all in Jesus Christ. He's not saying that we don't still want the church to be what it's called to be, but he's saying that we actually accept the reality that falls short of that and thank God that actually it's still a reality that God's placed us in a Christian family, that God's spirit is at work, even if it's in small ways. We actually start with thankfulness and let God grow that. He's saying we don't actually have to just try and build this ideal. We actually enter the reality that God's placed us in a family. God's spirit is present. He is at work. And we just thank him for the little things while still praying for the big things. There was people in the New Testament even that needed to hear this, that they needed to be encouraged not to give up meeting together. Some people were starting to give up. They're saying, actually, this is too hard, gathering together and being family. And, and the writer had to say, not, don't give up meeting together, as some people are doing. Like, like stay the course. Yes, it's not the ideal, but God is still at work, and we trust him and thank him. So that's, that's kind of going the path of frustration, disillusionment, and we sort of reject and isolate. But there's another danger, which is kind of the opposite extreme, where maybe actually we've had an experience of church and family and community that's actually really, really good. And actually, it's so good that we then start to place our security and our confidence in that group of people. We say, well, this group of people loves me and accepts me and, and I feel meaning and purpose and, and joy here. And actually, so I, I, I want to focus on that. And maybe we even focus on building that and we think if we just get together and if we just work really hard, we can just make this thing awesome and we can achieve all this stuff. And we actually place our security, maybe even identity and confidence in the church. Maybe the first one sort of says, well, I don't want the church, I just need God. This one sort of starts to forget God and starts to just focus on the church. And this is also a problem. Bonhoeffer talks about this. Um, this could even lead to, in a sense, worship of the human community. It, it starts to take the place of God, that we become focused and fixated on this family, which is a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. It's a secondary thing. He says about this, he talks about human love, or kind of like earthly love, versus spiritual love or heavenly love or love that's filled and comes from God and there, there being a difference, a human community and spiritual community. He says this, human love makes itself an end in itself. It creates um, it, of itself an end, an idol which it worships, to which it must subject everything. So human love, when you just love people directly, like we're going to have a good, close friendship or relationship and it's just about us and our desire and our friendship and the fact that we get along and things work he says it nurses and cultivates an ideal 
It loves itself and nothing else in the world. It's just this desire for community, for family, for relationship, which is a good desire, but it's just focused on that desire. So it ends up being an idol. He says, spiritual love, however, comes from Jesus Christ. It serves him alone. It knows that it has no immediate access to other persons. This is a different kind of love. Think about it this way. When you, when you have just a human relationship of love, whether it's a friendship or marriage or, or just a community or family, you, you love each other because it goes well. You, you like them or you have a history or you have uh, um, some common interests. And so you have this relationship of love and connection. And if they are not like sort of fall short of that, it, the relationship breaks down. It's kind of dependent on the two people bringing their best and actually contributing to the relationship and, and loving each other, and it, and it kind of is the end in itself. Whereas he says, actually, in the Christian community, it's different. We don't love each other because of each other. We love each other because of God. It actually starts with God. It's actually not dependent on the other person, and it's not even primarily for the other person. It's for God. He says it in, in 1 John. John says this, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We didn't, we didn't love God. God loved us. It started with God. He says then, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His point is that we start with God. God loves us and therefore we love each other, which is why Jesus can even call and why Jesus can even love his enemies, because it's not based on the people. It's not based on that relationship. It's based on God. God loves me, so I love you, regardless of what you do. We're actually not dependent on that person. And he talks about Christian communities to be the same, that actually we relate not directly, but in a sense through Jesus. We love each other because Jesus loves us, and as we love each other, we're loving Jesus. He's the one that is, is the connection. And we see actually both of these have problems. One response is almost no confidence in the church. It's just failed. We're disillusioned. So we reject church family and we go off on our own. There's another problem, which is we put all our confidence in the church family and, and in a sense get obsessed with that. That becomes our security and our identity. And both of those options are bad and have problems because they put at the center the human community, and not God. Whereas actually, God is to be at the center, not the church. God is to be the source of the family and the strength, not our own strength. We are to be a spiritual family who's focused on Jesus and grows together in love through his presence among us. It's not primarily a human community. It's a, it's a spiritual community. And it's God's community. It's God's family. Therefore, when it, when it falls short, we don't reject because actually no, God's placed us there. We're called to love and serve. And if it's really good, we don't focus on it because, no, it's about God. The, the, God is the focus. He is the center. He is the source. You see, John Stott says this, At Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven. It's like human community trying to build itself, make it happen. We're in Jerusalem when the Spirit comes, heaven humbly descends to earth. 
The community of the family is a gift from God. It's not because of human strength. It's not because of human initiative. It's a gift that's received and lived into and, and experienced and, and thanked for and then grown into more. So the vision that we have and the purpose statement is that we would see the kingdom of God come, Jesus as king, by being a growing family. But this doesn't mean that we're just going to work really hard and make it happen. It actually means that we're going to need to center everything on Jesus and, and trust and rest in his presence and let him grow us and let him shape us. And actually, as he becomes more and more the center, as he becomes more and more the focus, we actually have the power and actually we find ourselves loving each other and growing together. And, and the goal is not just to grow together. The goal is that we see his kingdom and we see his work. It's this great verse in Colossians that's talking about people who are kind of trusting themselves and confident in themselves. And he says that they're not holding fast to the head, not holding on to Jesus, from whom the whole body, the church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. It's God that brings the growth. Our job is to trust him, to rest in him, to thank him for what he's doing, to receive his gifts, and, and, and to, to love each other with his strength and with his grace, and as we grow as a family. So that, that's kind of what I wanted to share tonight. And as, as we respond, we're going to respond with, with communion, which we do each week. And um, as a church, in, in sort of the story of the Bible, there's kind of two big um, things that God gave the church to kind of, they're kind of markers um, that identify uh, practices of what the church is, um, or in a sense, kind of like boundaries. Um, so you kind of know what it is and what it isn't, um, in a sense, like who's a part and who's not. Um, in, in Israel, when the Jews, when it was Abraham and, and the Jewish family, the, the main marker was circumcision um, for, for males. Uh, we don't have to do that anymore, which is good. Um, but there's the new markers in the New Testament, and one of them is baptism, which actually says, well, if we believe in Jesus, we're part of the church. But the visible demonstration of that, and in a sense, like the way to publicly declare that is through baptism, uh, where we're immersed in water, and which symbolizes Jesus' death and our death with him. And then we're raised back up, which symbolizes Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection with him. And um, this is this, this symbol um, that in a sense is kind of like the way to enter. It's like, okay, they've, they've been baptized. And even in Acts, it was like, okay, you believe Jesus? Well, believe him and be baptized. And when we baptize people, um, Jesus said at the end, he said that you'd be baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's this picture of when we believe in Jesus, we become immersed in life with the triune God. We live with a God who is three in one that all of life is in this close connection with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at baptism. And then the thing that we continue to do, that's at the start, the thing that we continue to do is to take communion or the Lord's Supper, which Jesus said to do to remember him. The church does this, this all throughout, that, that we remember that Jesus was betrayed, that Jesus died. And not only that, that he rose again. Not only that, but that he's coming again. And he said, eat a meal together. And our meal is pretty small, um, but often when Jesus did this, it was they were sitting around a table eating a meal. And he says, this is my body taking the bread broken for you. This is my blood poured for forgiveness of sins. 
and to take and to drink. So we're going to do that. And as we do that, we recenter on Him, His presence at the center of the community, baptized into life with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now recentering on Jesus and His presence and His forgiveness and His grace. And as we do that, maybe there's even something that's come up from tonight. Maybe it's, it's actually, you notice in yourself, there's been this tendency to kind of reject the church and just go it alone or reject family and community and just be isolated. And actually, maybe God's calling you to come and, and to trust Him and to be thankful for what He's given and to grow into those committed relationships of love. Or maybe you've noticed actually you've kind of forgotten God and put at the center the relationships and, and the family and the community. And actually, we need to thank God for that, but make sure He's at the center as we need to come back to Him and return to Him and His presence. So could you stand uh, with me? We'll stand together and um, I'll pray. And then if you believe in Jesus and you want to take communion, we come and we just take the biscuit and dip it in the juice and you can eat. Um, there's offering bags if you'd like to give an offering um, up here as well. So let's, let's pray and then, then we'll sing and worship um, together. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you for placing us in a, in a community um, yeah, just here at Rivers or wherever church family we're a part of, God. Or um, We just thank you for the gift of, of relationships, of love. We thank you for your spirit um, that brings unity in diversity. Uh, we just thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross, um, that we would be united with our Father afresh and with you and with your spirit and with one another. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us tonight. Um, fill our hearts with your love. Just come and do what you want to do in our midst, God. And we just pray, God, that you would grow us as a family um, that's centered on Jesus, that grows with the growth that is from God. Jesus, we just pray that you give us grace to be patient, to love, and to bear with each other. And God, we just pray that you give us grace to keep you at the focus and not ourselves and not our own strength, but you. So come and have your way tonight, Lord. Do what you want to do. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.